Welcome to episode 110 of Blue Jays Happy Hour. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stoughton. And I'm not sure exactly what we promised you last week, but we were coming to you after Tuesday's game between the Blue Jays and the Cleveland Guardians. A quick, uneventful affair. And I want to start today as is quasi-tradition with a vibe check, because it does feel, despite what happened on Tuesday that the tenor around the Toronto Blue Jays has changed a little bit since we last spoke last week. Yeah, I, I think I think so. I mean, this is just sort of my reading of of the the Twitter vibes mostly. I mean, but I like we were saying off air, like that yeah, as bad as that loss was on Tuesday night, where you know the Jays got nine hits, couldn't score a run, RISP things were things. Uh, you know, stomping the Red Sox on the weekend was really good and sort of washed away the bad taste of uh of the Orioles series. And then of course, David Schneider has like been the most fun story uh, of the season. It feels like. So uh, uh, that has sort of uh, reignited some people's uh, enjoyment, I think maybe with the, t- the team and the product and made it, you know, feel a little bit better, which is, which is weird and maybe not accurate, but that's, uh, that's been my sense of the vibes. Cause had that not all happened over the weekend, uh, I feel like this loss on Tuesday would have uh, probably gone over worse or maybe it's going over Worse than I just don't see it, but it. it uh, I mean, we did. Hard. We have come on to record this in the very immediate aftermath, so it's possible that we're missing an absolute, you know, pitchfork <laughs> like and yeah. uh, torch riot on Twitter. I don't think that's the case. <laughs> well, yeah, they 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 didn't they didn't even pinch hit their their best player. Left him on the bench. Didn't even pinch hit him. Uh, you know, he's, he's batting over five hundred. Got those two home runs. Uh, hits a home run every other game now. Um, I, I I saw a little bit of that. The David Schneider truthers are out, but uh, you know what? Let that be a good story. While you know, somebody responded to uh, something I wrote today and was like, "He doesn't need to get another hit ever." Like it was already really fun and uh, and brightened the year. And I think I would like to think of it that way as well. Yeah, that's kind of the case. It's funny because I during this game. It looked like, you know, Paul DeYoung was the last at bat they were potentially going to get. And my, my thought was, oh, well, of course, you can't allow that to happen. Like, it, it, mm-hmm. is, it is negligence to allow Paul DeYoung to be the last guy who comes to the plate. And I just kind of forgot about Alejandro Kirk somehow. Just like in my mind, I was like, oh, well, like, I guess they're going to go to David Schneider here. I'm like, ah, you know, I, it's, it's kind of weird that he'd be the guy you go to, but I guess they're <laughs> going to do it. And then I was like, oh, yeah, true. Alejandro Kirk, the guy who uh, was in the All-Star game last year and is in the middle of a huge heater uh, and has actually proven himself at this level for more than four games. Maybe. Maybe that's the guy to go to. <laughs> that could be the play. Yeah. And, you know, not to take anything away from Schneider or anybody's, you know, smittenness with him. Um, but, you know, yeah, it's a big le- leap to go from the from AAA to the big leagues. Uh, we definitely saw some stuff, you know, uh, I retweeted and, and put in the piece today about uh, – you know the 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 robot strike zone in the international league is uh, not being kind to pitchers. Uh, a lot of inflated walk rates. Uh, somebody called it a postage stamp. Uh, and this is like I don't this I I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't want to like right off the top like here's why David Schneider like pump the brakes here because it's just you know that, that there'll be time for that. But uh, uh, yeah, Kirk, good good choice. Uh, had a nice at bat. Uh, Class A is uh, is a tough closer to, to get to, and uh, they should have done more sooner. Yeah, and you know it was a tough sequence of events too, with uh, you know Loriano being out there in right field, 
holding Varsho up, another outfielder might not have been able to do that. And then you've got the situation where you can score with a productive out. But I don't have to go two X's and O's on that. Uh, before we get, you know, hard into David Schneider, because this, you know, you don't you don't know how many episodes that's going to be the big thing. So you got to hit it while it's there. I did want to point out that the Blue Jays really did kind of on the topic of vibes, destroy the Red Sox chance of making the playoffs. <laughs> and I think that that is uh, I think that that's important when it comes to. I don't know. I mean, there, it wasn't so long ago, it feels like, that the Red Sox were one and a half, two games behind the Blue Jays and, you know, a real threat to steal this last playoff spot from them, which would, would have been, you know, a disastrous result for a team that not only had designs on, you know, crawling into the playoffs, but making some noise and a Red Sox team that I think we can all agree is not very good. Getting that close to Toronto is causing real consternation, and I think part of this, you know, improved feeling around the Blue Jays, and there, you know, there are other teams still chasing them down in the standings. It's not like now they have a hundred percent chance of making the playoffs, but now you're going from, you know, I remember doing a radio hit last week, and I said I'm looking at FanGraphs, and it was sixty point sixty one point five percent chance of making the playoffs. A few days later, today, uh, it was seventy eight over seventy eight percent, I believe. And just kind of putting the boot to the Red Sox was a huge part of it. And, you know, I know the Mariners are still in the picture. And, you know, technically the Red Sox are there too, 4.5 games behind. But I don't, I don't know what it is. And maybe this is stupid and it's unfair. But there's something to me mentally about three games back being a thing. It's like, oh, that's a series. Like you screw up the series and that could in theory get closed. But when a team is four or four and a half games back, mentally I'm like, oh, that's done. That's over. You can forget about that, which is totally unfair on my part. But I did think that sort of the the odds boosting, not necessarily that people were specific, specifically cognizant of that, but the odds boosting and the Red Sox feeling like a less imminent threat and more in the background as a result of the weekend was a big part of why the feeling was uplifted as well. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. Um, and you're right. I mean, you're right that it's wrong that like, you know, a team four and a half or five back right now is still very much in it. But yes, it did. It also, especially to like feel like those teams have been dispatched. Uh, uh, I think it compounds it when, you know, those, you know, Seattle wasn't going forward at the trade deadline. I mean, the Angels did and then they sort of spun out of it as, anyway. Uh, so maybe that's part of it as well. You know, just the, the, the herd is thinning a little bit. And yeah, the Red Sox obviously uh did not make this you know the blue jays didn't make a super hard push but you know jordan hicks uh, despite whatever the hell that was on monday which i think is you know the thing that happens to him a little too frequently um you know that was a, that's a real trade you know De, De young whatever uh seen enough of that already probably but uh um yeah it's uh it it without without that sort of imminent threat especially from boston with tampa kind of fluttering a little bit as well um, you know, yeah, I think feel, things do genuinely feel better. It's not just people sort of kidding themselves, uh, though there is an element of that because yeah, two, three games, whatever it is, whoever's, whoever's back there, they're, they're not going away anytime, uh, anytime soon. So let's, let's live in the Davis Schneider world for a little <laughs> bit here. Um, because as you pointed out, you know, that he could never get a hit again. You know, he is a guy who was not really a prospect and he was someone who sort of made his way up as a result of, you know, partly as a result of the Blue Jays just not really doing much, uh, the trade deadline, but partly as a result of his own production, his own hard work. And he is, 
I, I don't know. Like the moment he walked onto the field and hit that first home run, I was like, oh, okay. Like this is going to be, I don't know if this is going to be a player. And I, I kind of put out a piece today about how he's actually a very hard player to evaluate in short sample because he's just not a tools guy. Like he's just, he's not Ellie De La Cruz who's like, oh, okay, one game and he's the fastest man alive and he hit an 112 <laughs> right. mile per hour dinger. Like he's not that guy. Even at Buffalo, his exit velocity, his max one is not going to impress you. Like he's not a huge power guy. He's not a huge speed guy. He's a smart guy. He's a plate discipline guy. You know, in a best case scenario, you can turn that guy into Brandon Belt. Uh, but, you know, that the chances of that are obviously not particularly likely belts had a decade plus of being a really really good player but just the you know the way the dude looks and then the the instant home run and the fact that people had just been waiting for this team to give them something fun to cheer for and you know we've talked on this podcast before about people maybe disproportionately down on this team compared to what it is and that there are still reasons for optimisms and and things that are fun about the 2023 Toronto Blue Jays but it felt like David Schneider was, uh, I mean, he was literally a new element, but he was just a catalyst to give people a reason to look at this team again through different eyes. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. It, it, it has, it's been fun. It's been fun to watch people have fun and not, you know, look at their <laughs> their generational uh, Hall of Fame caliber slugger prospect who, you know, is the 13th or 12th best uh, first baseman by WRC Plus in Major League Baseball and, and not understand what the hell is going on there or why this team can't score runs with runners in scoring position. And, you know, then you got chumps like me being like well it's not a skill i don't know what the, the, yeah, there's no answers here and finally here's an answer it's just a guy going out playing ball having fun and, and it was uh it's it, it is it has been delightful long may it continue um you know skeptical about that elements of that but uh but also yeah he's not a tools guy that that her you know that and his size obviously uh speak to why uh to some reasons why he was so overlooked and why he was you know a 28th round pick at a high school and was a you know, a guy who had to, you know, basically, well, was he Rule 5 eligible last year or he was going to be? I believe he was and was yeah. passed up. Yeah. So, like, he'd been in a minor league organization for a very, very long time. And just to get people to actually take you seriously as a prospect there, I mean, we, you know, you hear the stories and how, like, the bonus babies obviously get, uh, you know, they try not to give special treatment, but you just you can't not when these guys are, you know, the, the organization, uh, you know, so much depends on those types Whereas other guys are just literally fodder, and they're like, oh, "Go, go nuts! Help, help, uh, help! Uh, some help us out on our way to developing the prospects we actually care about." And eh, maybe, maybe you hit on a guy like this every once in a while. And that's sort of, I mean, that's glib, but like that's sort of how a lot of the that part of the industry works. And and so you know, it is going to take a long time to get uh, to get people to take seriously, you know, what Schneider was doing, not just at this level, but at the levels below. And and he really. You know, and it's a it's huge credit to him. It's Kevin Pillar esque. You know, he was I think an even later pick than that, and he was a guy who, uh, you know, and I think that that's somebody you know has a lot of uh, Blue Jays fans have a lot of time for Kevin Pillar, obviously, uh, despite you know whatever he said there in Atlanta. But uh, uh, you know, he uh, he was a guy who did similar things to Schneider and really has an incredibly impressive story. And you know, looked like a bat first corner outfielder who became an elite defensive center fielder and, and part so much of that was, you know, the work and, and everything that he put into uh, into it. And I think that's sort of Ross Atkins was talking uh in that uh, MLB network interview today about, you know, leaning into uh 
uh, you know, all the resources that they love to give these players and how he's really maximized his potential. And, and, and that's true. And it's, it had, had Pilar come, <laughs> come out and, you know, had nine hits in his first three games, including a couple home runs like the, you know, we would be talking about him or have, be fondly remembering him in that same sort of way. It's something that, uh, you know, you can't take that away from him now. It's going to be a, a story uh, and well-remembered for a long time, no matter what happens from here. Yeah, I mean, Ross Atkins got the opportunity to take a little bit of a victory lap here, and and I'm not saying that he <laughs> yes, should indeed. that he shouldn't. Um, and but it it does go to show how rare a story it is, right? Like one thing that Atkins pointed out, and we're going to touch a little bit on his interview, but how rare it is to have the not only the late draft pick but the late high school draft pick, because yeah. normally a guy gets drafted in the 28th round out of high school, he probably if he's shown anything has some kind of college or junior college offer that he's going to take in order to, you know, kind of work his stock up because most people don't consider being a 28th round pick a good foundation upon which to build your professional career, (laughs) which is reasonable to be fair. And so, you know, he comes in here and he plays rookie ball for, you know, 2017, 2018 and most of 2019, like most guys do not, you don't stick around that level if you're any good, generally <laughs> speaking. Like it, they, if they keep putting you back there, that's a really good sign. Really, no, it's not, it's a really bad sign. <laughs> and so Schneider clearly, like he believed in himself and he didn't give up in a time where, like, yeah, a lot of guys show up in rookie ball. Like his second run through rookie ball, he was a below average hitter for a full rookie ball season. Like a lot of guys would have stopped there. And, he, you know, he, he kept coming back. He's 20, he's old for the level. And he kept fighting and he worked his way all the way up. And it, it is a great story and it is impressive. And you don't see this happen with guys like him. And so it isn't just a, a you know, a goofy mustache and, and the goggles and him, you know, him not trying to look like he's 14 years old. Cause I don't know if you've seen the photos of him without the mustache, but it is, <laughs> it's understandable why he opted to go in that direction. Fair, yeah. Um, I, 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 my life would tell a similar story, so I, I can relate. Yeah. Not everyone has the flexibility to to go <laughs> in and out of those type of looks. So it isn't, you know, it isn't just, oh, he had three crazy games on one hand and it isn't just like, oh, he's this kind of crazy, goofy looking guy. We don't see guys that size swinging that hard and all that jazz. Like there is a real baseball story here about a guy fighting his way up and sort of and like proving himself at every every level because he has to because no one is going to believe in him otherwise until he puts you know really really strong production on paper because that's the only thing that's going to drive him forward and you mentioned Kevin Pillar that's a good example you know Kevin Kiermaier within the Blue Jays organization you know mm-hmm. he was a I think he was a 31st round pick even um his you know instantly the guys i think of with the blue jays is like a reed johnson like there's a guy who didn't really have uh major tools to speak of his main ability was being an immense annoyance to opposing pitchers by getting getting hit hit all the time and fouling everything off and you know there's a good chance that schneider can make a career that way and we'll see what happens with him like he again like he did some real mechanical changes at triple a this year he reduced his strikeout rate like he is, he is a guy to some extent. It like you don't want to go overboard and be like he's a future star. We know he's a future starter. We just don't know. There's so much we don't know about him, but there are so many possibilities for a guy who, like you said, like he was on track to be an org player. Like the the majority of the players you bring into your organization, you're like, oh, we've got the. I don't know, the 34 guys that we actually care about, but we've got all these teams to fill out. 
we need someone to put around these guys. And, you know, the Davis Schneiders of the world, the Reed Johnsons of the world, the Kevin Plars of the world, those are the guys that just kind of get thrown into the mix to see what happens. And, yeah, it is uh, on a team that a lot of people complained about being a team of underachievers. You kind of have this ultimate achiever emerge from no ultimate un, over, overachiever. Sorry, not ultimate achiever. I think that'd be unfair after four <laughs> games. Uh, yeah. Ultimate overachiever kind of appear out of nowhere. And it does, I don't know. I don't think it recontextualizes everything. I don't think it changes everything. But maybe, like I said, giving people some fresh eyes on a team that probably just wasn't as bad and as grim as you thought anyway, giving you the opportunity to see that team a little bit differently, I think was, yeah, it was, it was super beneficial. And yeah, who knows where it goes from here. Um, but, you know, anyone who has doubted Davis Schneider in the past, including himself, because he, I think he's been quoted as saying like he didn't even truly believe that this was ever going to happen. Um, they've all been proven wrong so far. So far be it from me to say that he doesn't have a bright future ahead of him. And for what it's worth, looking at his fan graphs page now, they've got the six projection systems there, and and uh, five out of the six have him as above average hitter from here on out. Like that's it's it's incredible. Which is you know uh, for this team that that. <laughs> There's not enough above average hitters on this team, and it's something where like literally we're now sort of thinking about well, what can he do for the rest of the season? What what, what will he do over these next couple of months? Uh, you got Matt Chapman as a free agent uh, next year. You know, there's there's going to be Whit Merrifield is probably going to be gone, um, or at least not on the not on the contract that uh, that he is currently signed to. Uh, so you know, there's spots for a guy like that. You know, uh, and uh, they've certainly not been. You know, Kevin Vigier's had a nice couple of days. Uh, particularly Monday, but uh, nobody's really grabbed those and made it obvious that you know the next generation of Blue Jays infielder is here beyond Bo and Vlad because you know Chapman is going to get really expensive and 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 you know we'll see whether they actually go there or, you know in terms of uh, offering the money, but that that seems to me unlikely you know based on the Simeon experience and based on you know just sort of the way that they've tended to operate. So th- there is a there is a real opportunity for him to like carve out a role on this team for beyond just this year, which is uh which is wild. It's it's amazing. And I think part of like the dynamic you're talking about as well about the overachievement and uh it almost goes for like what we were talking about earlier with the vibes and like having Kikuchi pitch so well, uh who is a guy who, you know, I think people are very happy to like now after, you know, just having to feel so bad for him all of last year and and watch him just you know, have nowhere to hide basically when he didn't know where the ball was going and to see him, you know, not just, not just have a better year, but like really, especially in the last, you know, few weeks, uh, in the last couple of months, even, uh, to really thrive and really look like, okay, this is the guy that the Blue Jays were kind of hoping they would see, uh, easier said than done, uh, or easier to say against Cleveland where they're, they're really bad against lefties in, in particular. Um, but still, you know, you can only, face the guys in front of you and he had another great start and he's keeping the ball in the ballpark which has been a real huge uh asset for him and uh you know and and just not unraveling the way that things would unravel for him uh last year and i and so i think just in a similar way like maybe that one doesn't feel as bad that game would have felt worse if gosman had started uh here on tuesday right like if it it was just like oh again (laughs) these fucking losers can't score runs for this brilliant pitcher that keeps going uh and you know you feel a bit of that with kikuchi uh but i don't know you're also kind of just like damn he shoved that was great yeah i mean and he really did you know he 
he looked really good in the way that he commanded the ball too. Like there, there's a lot of times where it's like the stuff is working and he's getting the swing and miss and he's getting a couple of good defensive plays and the, he's thrown strikes enough that he's not walking guys. Um, but on Tuesday in particular, it felt like he was spotting the ball, which is, which is rare for him. And he's on a really good run right now. And, you know, it's funny. I've been doing a lot of radio hits for whatever reason the last few days. And I've been asked multiple times, like, would you start Kikuchi or Manoa in a playoff start right now? Which is like, you know, that's way down the road. And they've got three guys set up and maybe just go three guys and bullpen it. But I would absolutely go with Kikuchi over Manoa <laughs> right now. Like, I, yeah. Manoa has shown sort of modest improvements and there's a long way back for him. But Kikuchi is performing right now. And as you said, he is someone that last year became an object of disdain followed by pity for a lot of Blue Jays fans. And now, uh, you know, this is a great bounce back story for them and they still have him for another year on his contract. And yeah, sure. You could quibble and you could say, oh, some of the peripherals aren't quite there and you still always have to worry about the home runs and, you know, the expected numbers are better than the numbers. Like, there's a lot of things you can say, but at the end of the day, you know, he ends Tuesday's action with a 3.53 ERA and 122.1 innings. Like that, that wasn't within the range of outcomes, to be honest. Like that, <laughs> no, that yeah. wasn't even conceivable based on what, not, not just in terms of what we saw last year, but the rest of his career, like even when he was really good at, for moments in Seattle, like that's, he's just never done anything remotely like this. And, you know, it, even when we position the 2023 Blue Jays as a group of underachievers, generally speaking, like there are these stories, there is the Kikuchi bounce back story. And there is the fact that, you know, Brandon Belt, you can, again, you can argue with the way some of his numbers have come about and it's surely weird and I wouldn't bet on him being the same guy he's been thus far over a longer period of time to the future. But you know what? He's a, a 129 WRC plus guy after Tuesday. Like, I wouldn't have bet on that based on his age and injuries. Whit Mary- <laughs> certainly, not, certainly not after April either. Exactly. Whit Merrifield... <laughs> Who we'll yeah. talk a little bit a little bit later. Like there is, I mean, the reality is with every baseball team, there's always going to be guys who perform better and worse than you expect. But I think the story of the Blue Jays this year has been way more about the guys who did worse than we thought, and that's fair because those are generally the highest profile guys. It's the Vladdy, it's the Springer, it's the Manoa. Like I get it. It's, it's the catchers earlier in the year. It's Dalton Varsho, the guy you traded a former top prospect in baseball for. So I get why the spotlight has shone brightest on the guys who have underachieved, but that doesn't mean there haven't been other positive stories. And I think David Schneider is the easiest one to see. He's so obvious right now that you can't not see him. And like I said, maybe that makes people feel a little bit different, more differently about the team maybe that's a positive in that way for as long as it lasts but it is um yeah i don't know and there's i don't know there's a lot of quotes about him kind of bringing a, a new energy a jolt and all that stuff and there's a good chance that that's all bullshit you know 10 days from now <laughs> but you know we don't know that it isn't yet like you know again there's so much still to be written with this story that maybe i don't know maybe in six weeks we're looking back we're like wow when david schneider came up that's really where uh, where the lever was pulled and things just feel different, have been, been better since then. And I don't know. We don't know the future, but that, again, we talked to Kikuchi. That's not within the range of outcomes. Well, that 
them playing much better, playing up to their capabilities has always been within the range of outcomes. And it's possible that it just so happens to happen around this, uh, the Davis Schneider meteor that's landed. <laughs> I hope so. And I, I don't think it's impossible. Absolutely. Like, it, uh, you know, and it, even when you just get a guy like that on a heater, like, well, I mean, Matt Chapman is more of a, uh, you know, a core piece and a guy you kind of thought of as being, you know, a big part of your lineup. But like when he went on that run in April, you know, you look at the RISP numbers and a lot of that was maybe him just not, you couldn't get him out. But the you know the team as a whole hit better that month, and part of it, yes, sure. But it's like the okay, there's the weight is not on every single person the way it sometimes feels when you just have a guy who uh, out of nowhere for a bit is is just absolutely on fire. Uh, it would be great to see uh, if that's something that they can sort of capture because we it, that's that's a thing that happens. You know, we watched. Uh, uh, we watched Aaron Hicks earlier in the year when he went over to Baltimore, you know, have a, a real run. And you see that, you know, all the, all the time. Why not us? Uh, you know, you have a Chris Colabello year out of years, out of somebody or, or whatever. Um, yeah, happy to happy to see it. Happy to see it. I also hope that, you know, this kind of stuff, uh, because obviously you're right and about the, the, there are good stories to go along with the bad stories. It, it, it underlines to me why it drives me nuts. Uh oh, fire, fire, Guillermo, fire! Oh, all the coach, like the coaching staff stuff. It's like I don't know. If you go down the line, there's as much success as there is failure, and they're right that the high, the the failure has been higher profile for sure. Uh, I'd love to see Vlad get figured out by somebody, uh, preferably Vlad, probably the only person who can. But uh, but you know, they're obviously the idea that the hitting side of the organization doesn't know what they're doing. Uh, is being disproven all over the place, and you know, and uh, not to belabor this because we've talked about it all year, but you know, you just even go back to, to it's these are the same people who were there last year when Bo was in a funk until this part of the season and had a 102 waiter on creative plus on the 3rd of August or something like that. And uh, and and he pulled out of it and has had such a great year. And uh, you know, no good people don't get coaches don't get credit for that, they only get you know, scorn when things go poorly. And for all the great work Pete Walker and the pitching side has done, uh, then you have an Alec Manoa. Then you have, you know, you have some of the bullpen stuff we saw last year. You have, uh, it, it, that it's just so silly to me uh, the way people want to ascribe things to, oh, I can, I've evaluated this coach based on player performance. And it's like, well, no, you haven't. I don't know. Drives me nuts. Yeah, I mean, we again, we just don't own any of the counterfactuals of like what would mm-hmm. have happened if X player had been coached by Y coach instead. And, you know, we try and be relatively reasonable on this podcast, I think, in our own work individually. And it is sometimes frustrating to see people glom onto takes that they can't possibly be confident in. Like you project that, oh, I know this thing. I know that the hitting coach is shit. And <laughs> and then people are like, oh, yeah, you're smart because I also feel like the hitting coach is shit. But like none of you guys know if the hitting coach is shit. Like I don't know if the hitting – maybe Guillermo Martinez is a bad hitting coach. But I don't know that. And it feels more honest to admit to you that I don't know that and that we don't know that. And it it does seem like in the, you know, in the take economy and the Blue Jays are not unique in this. This is all of sports, you know, arguably it carries over to many other forms of media. But it it does frustrate me when I see these takes where it's like, oh, I am going to say the thing that I don't really know, but I think other people are feeling and therefore they're going to get behind me on this. And I'm like, that that's not really how this works. Like your <laughs> your job is to say the thing based on your expertise, research, or reporting that you feel is most true. 
and then people get to choose whether they believe you or they believe somebody else. And it just seems like the the momentum flows in the wrong direction, where the, sometimes it feels like the takes are coming from the angry people on Twitter, whereas the takes instead are supposed to trickle down to them and then they get to decide if they want to still be angry or if they want to reevaluate their views. Yeah. Yeah, that stuff bugs me. Uh, you know, yeah, you should have, you should be informing uh, is sort of the core of the job, and yeah, not uh, <laughs> not whipping up hatred for people. But I mean, this has gone on forever and ever and ever and ever, and it's um, not going to stop. Fun fact: it's no, not going to stop. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in terms of media, we had a media appearance from Ross. Ag- that's a pretty sloppy uh, transition, but that's fine. Mm. I mean, it could have been it could have been <laughs> yeah. worse. I've done worse. Um, I mean, we're talking about a Ross Atkins interview. I'm sure he had about yeah. <laughs> 15 non sequiturs that were way worse. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, we had an appearance from Ross Atkins. I think, as you point out in your piece, it seemed like from a very odd location in his house um, <laughs> about some of the Blue Jay stuff. And I, I always like when you do your breakdowns on that. So I want to take some of the pieces we kind of touched on davis schneider so we don't need to talk about he i mean he like he said he basically said that it was a great story that he used all the resources that's unusual as a high school guy the two ones that really stuck out stuck out to me were what he said about Bo and what he said about ryu now again this is all through the frame of he is going to be more positive than not positive but also there are things that he doesn't have to say, and he did go out of his way to say. And I'm going to want to start with the Bichette thing, where he said that it was a great day for him on Monday when he was moving around with very few symptoms, if almost none at all. We're going to progress with him cautiously, be careful with how we're loading the knee. But he had a really, really encouraging day where he felt much better on Monday. So I think we're still day to day as we progress out of this, but a really good day for him. Like that does sound to me like someone who is genuinely optimistic about what they've seen because again the the thing that he could have easily said would have been you know we're working with Bo it's a it's a process we're going to be cautious and we hope to have him back really soon like it would have been very easy for him to say something unbelievably generic and instead he made a specific point to pinpoint that Monday had been a day where real progress had made was made and that that Bichette was feeling pretty good. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I would I would like that there not to be an almost in there when he talks about the symptoms, the, the almost none at all. It's like, okay, so then some. So it's still hurting a little bit there. Uh, and there was, and I think as I point, in the, point out in the piece, you know, there was a little, uh, uh, it, it, we still don't know where. There, there's, still, there's still lots to, to, many hoops to jump through, I think. Uh, and we'd heard that maybe he would start would have started hitting on the weekend and, and has not uh, as yet or had not as of um, yesterday afternoon or something like that. So anyway, but you're right. It did it did seem on the optimistic side. Um, I hope so because Paul DeYoung, not enough of that. Oh man, I mean it's <laughs> funny because he came you know he came to the Blue Jays and if you had kind of taken his last four years he had been you know one of the very worst hitters in baseball in a literal sense but this year he had shown a little bit more life and when i say a little bit i mean he had a 95 wrc plus with the cardinals at the time of that trade but yeah since he's been with the blue jays i think we're looking at now 26 plate appearances with a couple of singles um and just you know no specific reason to feel encouraged for better results i mean you'll get better results than literally that but yeah not looking good yeah 
And the other one that he mentioned was Ryu, and he said, it, Atkins that is, it looked mm. like the Hinjun Ryu of old. I mean, he was masterful in those four innings, the commands. It's so special to watch how he's putting his ball exactly where he wants it in every pitch. You could see the momentum and confidence coming. So unfortunate it happened, him referring to what happened with his knee. Hopefully, we're passing the coming days. This one, I mean, again, positivity, kind of generic. It, that one struck me as a bit odd because I, I don't know. I was watching this Ryu start and I got this feeling like, oh, there's going to be a big narrative push that Ryu is back and that he's not back. I don't know. But that he's like, he's really, he's, he looks really good. Wow, it's only his second start and he's shutting down a lineup and all this stuff. And I did get the feeling that, you know, it had a lot of the markers of that Manoa start against the Tigers. Like mm -hmm. you couldn't, you couldn't <laughs> yes. have chalked up a better situation for Ryu than facing a very lefty heavy Cleveland lineup with absolutely no power. And we only saw the first four innings, so he didn't turn over the lineup that third time. And so I was a little bit surprised because I'm like, oh, people are going to get suckered in by this. But when he said it, it made me reevaluate my priors a little bit. Like I did see that, you know, the changeup, he got some whiffs with it and he needed a good job placing kind of just outside the zone as he does. And I don't know. I, I found myself wondering, kind of second guessing my opinion. Was it um, that, you know, that I was maybe being a little bit unfair, a little bit glib and that it had been really good in fact. And maybe that's what Atkins believes. But at the same time, there's always that factor of he's going to be optimistic he's going to promote the team there's no downside to him doing that so i i found myself a little bit confused by those comments because that you know he didn't even you know he's averaging 88 in that game like he didn't that's not the feeling that i got watching ryu even though the results were good i agree and you know yeah the, the to add to what you're saying and your confusion there you know i don't think it was prompted either i, I think it was asking about the injury and then he just on his own uh, wandered into talking about how encouraged he was by the outing, and yeah, I, I'm very much with you on the. It felt it felt Manoa Detroit ish, um, but you know he's got uh, he's got a six man rotation right now, and he's got you know two of those guys. Uh, there are some question marks about, and you gotta you gotta keep uh, keep your options open. I guess maybe I, I I don't know. I mean, whatever he says on the radio isn't gonna or on the TV or YouTube or whatever the hell whatever, wherever they broadcast MLB Network these days. Uh, you know, they're they're not gonna hold him to that, and uh, you know, nothing good could come of saying something negative. I think is probably where he sort of defaults, right? Um, so as long as it's positive, uh, I think he'll he'll face less uh, fewer recriminations for that, which is sure understandable. Um, yeah, and I, it, 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 it's not easy to take seriously sometimes. That one I thought was maybe, um, it, I did not reevaluate my original thoughts. I guess I'll put it that way. Uh, but it was great. It was great to see Ryu look really good, but the, the lineup quality and the, yeah, turning the lineup over, not having to do that. Uh, there are definitely reasons to, uh, to not think, okay, uh, 2020, you, uh, 2020 Ryu is back. Uh, let's go. We're, we're, he's a uh, front of the rotation guy again. Yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of, I don't know, that's the thing with him. I'd, he'd have to prove it, you know, kind of, we talked about Dave Schneider, like there's a lot of proving that needs to get done. I I think Ryu would have to do a lot of proving for me to feel confident that he was a, you know, even a consistently average starter at this point. And I just, I'm not sure that he's going to get that time or it's going to work out that way. Uh, I think there's a good chance that he hits free agency and everybody's kind of confused about where he's at.
Yeah. Yeah. Which is a shame. Uh, it's so good when he was good. But also, yeah, you look at the velocity, too, and you're kind of like, we all remember those days of, okay, if it's 91 or a little bit above, then you don't feel so bad. And if it's not, uh, look out. So, Yeah. He is, uh, it is weird because we kept telling ourselves that like, oh, velocity doesn't matter with him because he's such a master of command and stuff. And it, you know, it just kind of clearly did ultimately. Uh, mm -hmm. and we haven't seen that yet. And, you know, he mentioned, I think after his first start that he could maybe ramp that up a little bit, but, um, that hasn't really been the case. And maybe, maybe it will be, we've seen it happen with Tommy John, but I don't think we've seen it happen so much with, you know, 36 year old guys, uh, coming back from Tommy John. You know, other than Justin Verlander somehow. Um, generally not the case that you get guys come back and they've got that extra spring in their step when they're already have that much wear on the tires. But it'll be, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I like watching him pitch when he pitches well. And I'd like to think that if he wants to be in the majors next year, that I'd like to see him get that opportunity. But uh, yeah, hopes are not are not particularly hot. <laughs> I, got, I got a lot of time for him still. You know, he... I'll give him. I'll give him five, ten, maybe not ten starts. Five starts from here. I mean, I'd probably waver on that if if three of them went real bad, uh, right off the hop. But uh, but you know, I would like to see them make it work. I don't know how much. You know, there's not a lot left to tinker with there. It's like he is who he is, and it's either going to work or it isn't. Yeah, I think it's also about the competitive position they find themselves in. Because mm -hmm. if you know, if you have a team nipping on your heels, you know. Seattle's a game back and it's like do we really want to roll out Ryu and sort of keep figuring out if he has it when that's ultimately going to cost us a Kevin Gosman start down the road at some point like I I don't know again Atkins talked about in this interview the idea that they had this massive run of games and that that was a factor in them having the six-man rotation and he didn't explicitly say that when that time was over they would revert back to five but it's clearly something that's on his mind because it is the situation now is a bit weird. You know, having the six man rotation limits their bullpen and then it makes it, you know, there's a little bit more pressure to push the guys deeper into games. And, you know, sometimes Kikuchi's not suited for that when he's doesn't have his best command. And, you know, it's hard to ask that of Ryu and even Manoa. So maybe only three of your six guys are guys you feel good about going six. And if they're not going six, then how's that bullpen doing from a, you know, durability and stamina standpoint, it's it's not untenable by any means, but it's clearly not the optimal arrangement. True. And like you say, you don't want to get to the end of the season and be like, oh, we we gave what could have been a couple of Manoa starts away to Ryu and, and Manoa when we didn't have to, or a couple of Gosman starts. Yeah, absolutely. So before we end out here, that a couple, I actually, you know, on our agenda here, I had an item about giving Whit Merrifield some credit, which is arguably due, um, given that we've been slandering him for months at this point. <laughs> but, you know, we, we, we have an approximate time that we're aiming for, and I just don't think that we're going to get around to it today. So we'll see. Maybe next week he'll still be awesome, or maybe he'll have a terrible week, and we'll just never address the fact that you know, he's actually hit a bunch of bombs in the last month and uh, been really good and earned the leadoff spot. Put a pin in that. Uh, <laughs> he's been good. He's been good. But I do want to, I don't want to finish this podcast without talking about Jose Pautista getting the level of excellence this upcoming weekend. And I don't, I'm not saying that because this is some surprise. We knew this was going to happen. 
but it is also, you know, it's a monumental event. The level of excellence is sort of an artificial thing. It is not unique to the Blue Jays. Other franchises do things like this, but it is it is still a special thing. And Bautista, you know, we talked about Davis Schneider being an unlikely story. Bautista is an unlikely story in his own way. Someone who kind of came to the Blue Jays in a throw-in deal as a dart throw guy became one of the biggest stars in the sport. We have the bat flip um, that you know is a memory that so many people not only are going to remember, but that's kind of the beginning of a lot of people's fandom is that 2015. I don't know if that's our demo listening, but it, a lot of people did sort of start becoming Blue Jays as a res- fans as a result of that 2015 team. And it's this huge moment in history. So I just kind of want to open it up. Like, how do you think you're going to remember Bautista outside of that one singular moment, which is always going to be on the Blue Jays highlight reel so long as the Blue Jays exist? I mean, that's a tough one. It's such a it, it's such a big thing. It's also, you know, wrapped for me, wrapped up into my professional career. Like he came over and I wrote about this when Roland went into the Hall of Fame. Like uh, uh, in the very, very early days um he was i was already getting paid by that point but uh but but very very early of being able to actually you know do this for a living somehow um which just afforded me that much more time to 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 partake in the hobby that was at the time uh, uh following and swearing and drinking about this uh the Toronto Blue Jays baseball team uh and yeah i i there's definitely going to be stuff i revisit i'm i'm my intention is to you know put together a piece uh of old stuff uh on that um, but you know, I like the things I remember are, you know, just the, uh, I don't know, for lack of a better word, like the swagger that he, that he brought to the team, uh, you know, just the, uh, just the, the, the sense of menace, the thing that, that, which people kind of embraced. And, and a lot of times, you know, we, we're, we've lived through this, you know, goofier, more fun loving era of Blue Jays baseball, which sort of ended, uh, last, last winter. Uh, and th- that's lovely too, but there was something about being, you know, the, the, the team of assholes that everybody hates. And, you know, Josh Donaldson had something to do with that too. But, but Bautista just sort of had, you know, uh, the attitude, um, was you know was kind of the Blue Jays and also you know just to just to watch the man hit and control the strike zone and you know what he's trying to do you know he's just trying <laughs> trying to park one over the left field wall or take a walk uh, and they you know the, the for years and years and years and probably should have been more had they you know been able to had he or anyone been able to help him figure it out sooner in his career uh, you know could have had a Hall of Fame caliber career because it was that kind of peak. Uh, it was just, it was, it was just excellence at the plate. Uh, and then, a, then a fun man <laughs> to watch play the game in all the other phases, uh, tracking down balls in right field and not being a great fielder, but having that cannon of an arm and getting mad at, uh, at, uh, Delvin Young and, uh, you know, and getting mad at fucking, uh, who's the, who's the stupid side armor? Uh, oh, doesn't matter. Darren O'Day. Darren O'Day and, uh, you know, and just, and just having those, you know, petty rivalries <laughs> and getting mad at the umpires uh, and sort of being a prima donna in a bit of a way, but, the, you know, on the field and then uh, just being, seeming very, very chill in his entire persona off the field and, and always, you know, uh, speaking sense and wanting to go out and have fun and, and dominate the game and, and, uh, and, be able to, and being able to do that for uh, for a very long and fun time, you know, as much as an offensive player can, uh, you know, control the games and and be that 
uh, avatar of what a whole entire team's identity is. Yeah, I, I think that duality that you talk about dealing with, like you said, the sort of the menacing persona, the willingness to antagonize others, um, you know, embrace the hatred that he engendered. Hatred, <laughs> hatred might be a strong word, but not necessarily uh, an overstatement when it comes to certain fan bases. And then at the same time, he was like he was brilliant. Like he he I mean I say what yeah. he's a human being who's still alive. He is brilliant. Like if when he would really talk the game, when he would deign to do that, it was very clear the way he saw it, and you could see it in his tension. You could see it in the way he controlled the strike zone, the way he manipulated at bats, the way he made pitchers come to him, even when it should have been so obvious that you could never come to him. He would find a way <laughs> to manipulate pitchers into doing it. And he, you know, he had this radical approach that other people really didn't have. When you watched Jose Bautista hit, he, you know, like when you watch other people hit and you're cheering for that player, there's almost always moments of frustration of like, why the hell did you swing for that? Or like, you had to know that this guy was going to throw another high fastball. Because, like, all his other pitches are going for balls today. Like, you had to know that he was going to freeze you with it. Like, stupid shit. Because if you yourself were at the plate, like, you would just cower in fear while they threw three pitches down the middle. Uh, and you'd just be scared. <laughs> but, yes. but like, that kind of mindset you'd have with, almost, like, even very, very good other hitters. Like, some of the great, you know, you know, even Josh Donaldson. Even Vladimir Guerrero Jr. when he's been really good has had some of that just like stupid swings like on pitches that slider that just way out the zone and he chased it away and it's not like that literally never happened with Bautista but it sure felt like it never happened with him it felt like when he screwed up it <laughs> until about 2017 yeah until the very end sure we're, <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. doing some romanticizing here come on yeah, okay no I got you and when he missed <laughs> it would be like it would be that he just got on like it was like he almost hit a home run but it was a fly ball instead but you're like oh that was like a quarter of an inch from being a home run like everything like you said it had that air of menace about it and you i mean you mentioned how it affected you professionally i think it you know he did really bring life and interest to a team that uh you know had that flagging a little bit you know i remember him it's funny because like he intersected with me most professionally at the very end, which is kind of unfortunate. And so, you know, I was in the locker room covering those 17, that 2017 team. And like, you know, you could ask people who covered the Blue Jays in the Bautista era, like he was a bit of an annoyance to cover. Like he was someone who would not, not be very giving of his time. He'd be someone who would show up extremely late to, you know, media responsibilities and not show much respect for other times. He could be terse. He could be, you know, ob obtuse on purpose because you knew that he was, you know, he had so much more to say or he was so much more insightful than what he would give. And so as a subject, um, there were definitely times where he was a frustrating subject. But then there were other times, again, because he was so, he was a brilliant baseball mind when he kind of decided, oh, this is the time when I'm going to sit down and I'm going to open up and I'm going to talk about something at length that interests me. When he was interested, which was not all of the time by any means. Um, <laughs> yeah, we get that. Yeah. He was a, yeah, he, he was a, he could be a great interview and he had a lot of insight. And so it was a weird thing to, you know, having kind of observed from afar and written about him a little bit sort of during his prime and seeing him as this titanic figure and then kind of 
when I got closest to him was at the end. And at that point, he was diminished as a player and in some, you know, in some capacities of frustration as a subject. But it is, but that, you know, again, that's like a tiny personal thing. And I, I don't say any of that to say, oh, people shouldn't think fondly of Jose Bautista. Absolutely, they should. And him being like a little bit gruff once in a while does not make him a bad person by any means. Um, you know, people have different personas as athletes and in different moods in the workplace, all that jazz. I'm not trying to disparage him. I'm just trying to explain kind of my experience with Jose mm -hmm. Bautista. And he, uh, yeah, I think that he was a, he was like a truly unusual player and a truly unusual guy. Like I think you've, you know, Blue Jays, like any, every team have seen many, many, many excellent players, guys who are incredibly talented, guys who worked incredibly hard, whatever combination of that got them there. But he had such a weird route to it and he seemed to, I don't know, I think in some ways you'd expect a guy who came from a little bit of more of a modest background in terms of bouncing around a lot of teams and not finding his way until later in his career. You'd expect that guy to be the more kind of hard hat, uh, I'm going to, you know, that you'd expect that guy to have a Matt Chapman type of demeanor. Because it's like, oh, I've been in the minors, I've grinded, blah, 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 like I'm just going about my business. And instead, like the moment he became a superstar, like he took to being a superstar. Yeah. And I thought, I think that's kind of cool. I think that's kind of cool that he, he saw the power in what he could be because he had unlocked this talent and he didn't shy from it at all. And I think a lot of sports in, in Canada, we see ho this with hockey all the time. A lot of people shy away from the power of being that star. And he leaned right into it in a way that not everyone appreciated, but I think is pretty special. Absolutely. Absolutely. And also just, you know, we talk, cause we've talked about this a lot this year, just entertaining, the straight up entertaining figure and ball player to watch on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Unique is a great word too. Yeah. Nothing boring about the guy. No, absolutely not. And I think that he is the type of player. And again, it's not like other people on the level of excellence don't fit this category as well, but he's the type of player that people are going to, tell stories about for years to come and i you know i think part of that is because he's um because he's from an important era of blue jays baseball in terms of them breaking that the streak of not making the playoffs like that's a big part of it but you know when i think of for instance you know carlos delgado who's the club leader in home runs an incredible hitter in his own right and some really really impressive seasons that he put together like and he was kind of the, when I first started the Blue Jays, started watching the Blue Jays, he was the central star. And I don't think that people are going to talk about him necessarily in the same way as Bautista, because Bautista had all these other things going on besides the numbers on the page, the consistent excellence. And he, yeah, he was just a, he was a larger than life figure, which the Blue Jays, you know, ne haven't necessarily had a huge run of in part because they haven't had as many you know world series as some other franchises but they they the blue jays are don't have as that many legendary figures of bautista's ilk at least in the post two world series era and uh yeah his place on the level of excellence is well earned and i think that people are going to go to the ballpark with their kids or grandkids or nephews and nieces and whatever for years to come and they can point out him on that level and everyone's going to have a story and it, most of it will be the bat flip. That'll be the most common story, but I'm sure there'll be some other stories involved as well 
particularly where it came to Darren O'Day, because that's always a favorite. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it'll be, you know, uh, fuck, you end up you end up reflecting on your own mortality and shit like that with stuff like this, obviously. Uh, it'll be nice, you know, the, the, doc, the doc one obviously was posthumous, which made that, you know, that changed what that was about. It'll be nice for, you know, him to be there and everybody to give him the proper... Uh, respect because you know the, we, we weren't sure if he was his career was going to be over after he left the Jays. Uh, you know after 2017, I think everybody kind of thought that, but he came back and uh, bounced around. Was with the Mets, with the Braves a little bit. Was he maybe somewhere else? Um, and you know uh, just to uh, uh, it's just sort of a finality to that era too, which is a, a weird thing to think of because it seems so fresh in a ways, and and then also obviously very much not. Uh, I, yeah, it's gonna. I, I think it's gonna be a nice, a nice little, nice little day, nice little day at the ballpark. And yeah, all the kids and, and people who don't quite remember it the same way, um, the, the get set because yeah, there's some stories. All right, we're gonna leave it there. Thanks everyone for tuning into this week's Blue Jays Happy Hour, even if it's a little earlier than expected, and we may have lied to you in the past about what day this was gonna be. I believe that our uh, our next week is probably going to be on Thursday, but, you know, it's always a moving target, and hopefully we're keeping it exciting like Jose Bautista. So we will come at you whenever that may be. 